Welcome to Fairfield. What are you reading? A next book podcast from the Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. I am Philip Barr, your host and head of adult services. Each month we gather a group of library staff together for a conversation about what we are reading, what we're reading, what we've just finished, what we're excited about coming soon. Most of the books will be new, some will be older. The group will focus on books we love and hopefully you will too. The mood of this podcast is relaxed. Imagine you come into the library, ask a librarian for a next read, and a couple more people stop by, and soon everyone is trading their favorite new reads. Listen in now as we begin. Hello, I'd like to welcome everyone to episode 12 of What Are You Reading? A next book podcast from Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Today is January 21st, 2022. My guests and colleagues from our children's library, Tamara Lynn, Stephanie Bergstrom, and Emily Muller will be discussing children's books, their reading, and what's on the horizon for children's lit in 2022, as well as talking about the winter reading challenge. So why don't we jump right in, Stephanie? Hello, hello. Um, I have a couple books to talk about today, and I wanted to bring them to the podcast on Friday so that I could get some brownie points in case they win medals this coming Monday when the Youth Media Awards will be on the 24th and uh, they announce the new Newberry and Caldecott and all the other fantastic youth awards. Very cool. So, yeah, I found a article from Ann Patchett in the Times where she was gushing over a particular very popular and prolific author, Kate DiCamillo. And that's whose book I have in front of me today. But I'd like to um, read a little snippet from the article because this podcast is obviously geared toward adults, but we're here talking about children's literature. So Anne says, so maybe you don't have children or they're not small or not in the house. It doesn't matter. Read them anyway, meaning children's books. (laughs) Maybe you do have children and you can read these books together as a family. My point is this. Don't miss out. Do not make the mistake I nearly made and fail to read them because you are under the misconception that they are not for you. They are for you. So that's kind of sums up why we keep coming back to this podcast because there are so many fantastic children's books. And one of them is uh, Kate DiCamillo's latest book, The Beatrice Prophecy. Kate DiCamillo is a two-time Newbery medalist, and she's finally pairing up with Sophie Blackall, who's a two-time Caldecott medalist. So obviously this book is destined for greatness. Um, It's the second book that I know of in the children's library that talks about medieval times, which I just find fascinating. (laughs) Um, The first one being um, The Inquisitor's Tale by Adam Gidwitz which is a fantastic audiobook. It's read by a full cast um, that we have on Libby. Um, but the Beatrice Prophecy, uh, Katie Camilla is just like outrageous. She's an outrageous author. She does not shy away from vocabulary. She does not shy away from just weird characters and situations. Um, her books are completely unique, which is what Anne was saying in the article. So I just want to read to you the first sentence of this book, The Beatrice Prophecy. And Swellica was a goat with teeth that were the mirror of her soul, large, sharp, and uncompromising. Like, who writes that? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. 
<laughs> so this book is about a girl who wakes up in a monastery and she only remembers her name and that she is able to read and write and uh, there is a prophecy that she's destined to unseat a king and bring about great change so the monks at the monastery and a few other characters including the goat are all protecting her while the king and other people are trying to vanquish her so it, it's a fun adventure quest but the writing's very beautiful beautiful the book is beautiful because of sophie blackall and it's kind of illuminated so it looks like a medieval book um yeah very cool read very unique that's great who else wants to jump in camera i think i'll go with kind of spark by l mcnichol so uh, going back to why grown-ups should read children's books, um, we're living in like a time of kind of a, a social awakening where we're realizing that like many people are experiencing the world in a different way and we should be um, leaning into that. And this author is an own voice and she writes about di disability representation because she's neurodivergent. She's uh, specifically autistic. So it, again, the title is A Kind of Spark. She writes what she knows and what she's experienced, which I really could see that in this book. I've never read anything that has spoken to me on such a level. I've seen books where they talk about an autistic child and you have like a, what you assume an autistic child might be thinking or you know the hand flapping and like being overstimulated but she really 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 uh brought to life what i go through so i know other people with neurodivergent tendencies probably um would feel seen in this at any age so she, the author hopes that uh, to connect the reader um, and, and have the reader have an opportunity to see themselves positively in a story and not as somebody that is a troublemaker or um, kind of looked over or how uh, neurotypical people are meeting them um, or her, how they're kind of fitting these neurodivergent people into the neurotypical world kind of thing. I have to say this was amazing. It was amazingly written. The main character is Addie, not Adeline, Addie. She's 11 years old. She's neurodivergent, specifically autistic. She lives in Scotland in a town that is not very forgiving to those who are different. And the story begins in a classroom where Addie's teacher, Ms. Murphy, is throwing out her story she'd written because the handwriting was sloppy. Mm. While she's doing that, she's, she's yelling at her that at her age, she should have much better handwriting. So here mm. Addie is like sitting there like, oh my gosh. And like, she doesn't quite understand what's going on. But the teacher gets in her face and she's like, do you understand me? Do you understand me? And of course, Eddie says, oh, yeah, yes. Like, it won't happen again. Why does she do that? And why is it important? It's important because it's something that a lot of neurodivergent people do. It's called masking. 
throughout the story, you see Addie's continual struggle to mask, which is a tool used by many neurodivergents. And it means that someone is attempting to artificially perform social behavior that is deemed to be more socially acceptable by neurotypical or what we traditionally say like normal thinkers, mm. such as maintaining eye contact or hiding behavior that might be viewed as socially unacceptable, like flapping hands, like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So this is just one of the many struggles Addie's experiencing. She's bullied at school. She's having a lot of concern and stress um, because she's worried about her neurodivergent sister who is studying uh, at uni, which is a new um, thing for their family. No one's ever gone to university, let alone somebody that has a, a has autism in their family. Addie's assigned a project at school soon and she learns about these witches that were massacred in Scotland in the 1590s. And she completely relates to these witches. She sees herself in their struggle so much so that in class she has this overwhelming um, moment and just starts crying and nobody can reach her she can't calm down and the teacher is so mad about this so mad it's so it's as as a reader you're like yes i get it and i'm so sad for you <laughs> and um uh so the parents were brought in there's a whole big talk about having her go to a, like a special school and parents are like no she's very intelligent she's sweet she should be here let's work together but in the meantime she also decides Addie decides that these witches these people that she relates to who didn't mask well and were seen as different need to be memorialized they need to be noted as people that deserved a better outcome than what they got in their town. And so she makes it her job to accomplish this task. And you can see her independence coming through, her ability to get the job done. She, Addie also loves just sharks and reading, and she's absolutely someone you're gonna root for and learn from. And this author is about to win a bunch of awards for this book, and which is absolutely so deserved. Plus, in the book, there's a lovely library in the story with a very understanding and helpful librarian. So what's not to love? <laughs> uh, McNill, Mick, sorry, McNichols next book is Like a Charm and it's due out at the end of February. And just go ahead and grab this one and get ready for the next one. You won't be disappointed. So Tamara, is this contemporary, like the time period? Yes, it's happening now, which is why I mentioned where the where we are in the world and how we need right. to really kind of lean in and um, yeah I think it's interesting that the teacher is portrayed that way because it almost feels like that's why I asked that question because it almost feels like some archaic teacher from like the 1950s or something from the I last think it's century. just a, a way of seeing that how much further we have to go oh yeah of course like, now still happening this is and actually the author says this is like her experiences. She wow. had a similar experience in school. So, and she's young, she's in her twenties. So yeah, it's definitely contemporary. So, Great. Sadly. Emily, what do you have for us? One book I wanted to share um, is a middle grade, grade novel titled Temple Alley Summer by 
Sachiko Kashiwaba, who is a renowned um, Japanese children's and young adult um, author. Um, she also wrote the novel titled The Marvelous, Villa Marvelous Village Veiled in Mist, um, which influenced um, Hayao Miyazaki's film Spirited Away, um, which is an award-winning film um, animated by Studio Ghibli. Um, and the more recently published version of um, Temple Alley Summer um, that I read is the English translation, um, which was done by Avery Fisher Utagawa. Um, and this is a wonderful story. Um, it's a really thoughtful mystery with um, fantasy and supernatural elements, as well as humor. Um, the main character is a fifth grade boy named Kazu, um, who one rainy night um, sees a girl wearing a white kimono sneaking out of his house. And he's terrified and convinced that he has seen a ghost. Um, and the next day at school, um, the ghost girl um, he saw is sitting in his class and all of his classmates are convinced that the girl who's named Akari has been their friend for years um, and has lived in their neighborhood. So Kazu knows something strange is going on and um, things get stranger when he learns that his house is the location of an ancient temple called Kimyo Temple, which has, um, which is linked to a long forgotten history about bringing the dead back to life. So Kazu sets out to discover more about um, Kimyo Temple, um, its rumored powers and his new mysterious um, classmate um, and who she might be. So I really um, enjoyed the mix of humor and mystery in this story. I was really invested in the characters um, and enjoyed trying to be a detective along with Kazu to figure out you know, what's happening in his hometown. Um, and it was also fun to read about aspects of Japanese culture and of life in Japan through Kazu. Um, the book also has really beautiful um, illustrations from Miho Satake sprinkled throughout it. And they really wonderfully um, enhance the atmosphere of the story. Um, the story is also interwoven with themes that provoke like deeper thoughts, um, such as living life um, so that you have no regrets and friendship. Um, and these added um, a depth to the narrative that I really appreciated. Um, it's a really imaginative tale um, and, and heartwarming tale. And it's great for those who enjoy fiction with um, magical realism and, and supernatural elements. Great. Like, do you see the, uh, the Studio Ghibli movie going in your brain as you were reading it? Yes, yeah, definitely. It, it definitely has that, that feel. Yeah. That's awesome. Great. Anybody else? Ben? So on a, I'll go on a lighter note real quick. Uh, I read the Dragon Kingdom of Renly's newest uh, title called Ice Dragon. This uh, series is by Jordan Quinn. It's it's a graphic novel. It's really geared for that K through second, but it's a lot of fun. Ruskin, who is the pet dragon of the Prince of Renly and is a fierce protector of the Kingdom of Renly in a very small package, they travel he travels with his friends to Flat Frost for the winter festival. 
they're going to meet the new ancient ice dragon who just emerged. And this is all very exciting because this ancient ice dragon is thousands of years old. He, the, the ice dragon might have even been alive during the time of what is the original dragon king. So they're all excited. This whole series, Ruskin, the great protector, has been trying to rid himself of an evil curse. And it seems this, ma this magical being, this ice dragon, might hold the key to finally uncovering who the dark forces are that are attacking Ruskin and why they're specifically plotting against him. So you should read the story to find out if Ruskin can indeed uncover the truth while being the great protector he is and keeping the ancient ice dragon safe. Um, I do recommend starting at the first number one in the installment, The Cold Fire Curse, just so you understand uh, all the danger and uh, suspense and the uh, curse info that Ruskin is, is working through. But this is a great one to curl up with your, uh, with your kiddos or your grandkids and just uh, enjoy them. And, and like I said, it's graphic novel. So look at those fantastic pictures. I also read a graphic novel with some dragons. This one has water dragons. Um, this is a middle grade graphic novel um, titled uh, Tide Song um, by Wendy Shu. Um, and it's such an enjoyable read. Um, it's magical and heartwarming. It's about um, 12 year old uh, Sophie Wu, who is a witch and wants to live up to her mother's and grandmother's standards um, and be a highly skilled witch who attends the best magic academy, um, but Sophie's magic is kind of shaky um, and she goes um, to her relative's house to train for her entrance exams and her cousin Sage and her great aunt Lon um, give Sophie lots of chores to do and she feels like her magic is not improving. So one night Sophie attempts to do magic on her own to prove herself, but um, the spell goes horribly wrong and her magic becomes entangled with a young water dragon's magic named Lear um, and he ends up saving her um, and Lear also loses nearly all of his memories. Um, he's unable to transform back into a water dragon after um, shape-shifting into a human. So he ends up staying with Sophie and her family hoping to regain his memories and helps Sophie with her own magic. Um, and Sophie soon discovers that she can benefit from using Lear's magic, but by doing so, um, she's not assisting him and kind of preventing him from regaining his memories and finding a way home. So Sophie must decide um, what's more important to her and what kind of a person and friends she wants to be. And Sophie was, um, is a really dynamic character. Um, she's really eager to learn magic and she's super passionate about it. And the author really um, effectively puts readers in Sophie's head and it's often heartbreaking to read her thoughts and how she um, berates herself um, and how the adults in her life also berate her. Um, it was the like an emotional turmoil um, in both Sophie and Lear is really skillfully portrayed and it adds a complexity um, 
to the characters that I really appreciated. Um, and I also, I love the, the magic and the fantasy elements and aspects of the story were inspired by um, Chinese mythology, which I enjoyed learning about. Um, of course, the illustrations are so lovely. Um, the, uh, has beautiful colors, um, really delightful character designs and um, like really vivid details in the settings, um, which were inspired by New England. Um, and the, the movement that's created throughout the panels is, is really captivating. So this is a, a really great fantasy story um, with themes of uh, self-acceptance and friendship, which um, I think will resonate with readers. I really love this one. Great. I can tell that you are all such good storytime uh, librarians because every time I do a children's podcast, I'm just riveted by these descriptions. So I know that everyone listening feels the same way. So it makes it really exciting. And, um, and I think it brings it back to what we started out with uh, the quote that Stephanie did about how, you know, we really have, everyone needs access to these books and it's important for all of us to read them. So. Anyone else want to jump in? Steph? Yeah, for the worst transition ever from Emily's wonderful fantasy, I have a very real life, realistic, um, fictionalized memoir, I would say, very close to the author's life. Um, it's called Red, White, and Whole by Rajani Laraka. And again, I would be shocked if this didn't win an award next week. Um, this is about, it's a novel in verse, which is always fantastic, gets you that first person perspective and the poetry is just beautiful. And it explores her experience as the first generation only daughter of parents who immigrated from India to the United States, you know, to access a better life and opportunities, especially for women, for her mother and um, their daughter. Um, so Reha feels torn between these two identities during the school week. Her parents have kind of forced her to go to this private school where she wants to be the typical teenager wearing cool clothes and Jordache jeans. This takes place in the 80s. <laughs> and um, on the weekends, she is full on Indian. They have, um, they don't have um, immediate family there. Her immediate family still lives in India, but they have made community with other people who have come from India. Um, so it's like, it's kind of like whiplash back and forth between the week and the weekend. Um, and she feels the pressure of upholding traditions and of being like the perfect virtuous child who needs to accomplish everything, but then wanting to wear, you know, wanting to be a you know an American and like it's 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 just interesting I think we've had a couple of these different stories in the adult side and the children's side of these kind of hyphenated experiences of of the you know kind of internal you know turmoil of trying to marry those two um, identities so, you know, the first half of the book is mostly about that. And then suddenly her ama, her mom gets sick and she's in the hospital and she gets a diagnosis of leukemia. So this obviously devastates Reha, her, her, you know, typical Indian family. The mom does all the cooking. The dad's totally lost. It's, it's kind of about balancing the family and the, um, the, well, the friends who come into her life to help. 
Um, her aunt comes from India to try to help out. Um, and Reha tries to be, you know, she puts everything else aside. She's not talking to a boy she likes. She's not dealing with any other, you know, middle school type things. She just wants to focus on being a good daughter for her parents because she thinks that's what's going to help. Um, so it's really, really moving. It's beautiful. The one thing I would say is it doesn't really need to be a historical fiction, but it is fun to see 1980s stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole, um, you know, kind of side plot with the boy of um, the 1980s songs and he makes her a mixtape and uh time after time <laughs> totally clips to the heart <laughs> so it's fun to see those things and if it makes kids like rediscover those it'll be fun kind of like when um that genesis song got popular a couple years ago <laughs> um so yeah i would say this is for ages 10 to 14 i'd probably say but it, it really is a beautiful book i think you know all ages would um would enjoy it um it like I said, in, in terms of like the dual identity, this really reminded me of um, Crying in H Mart uh, by Michelle Zahner, which is a memoir that came out last year. Um, it, that memoir is about her, her dual heritage and being a first generation daughter and her mother also gets sick. Yeah, so Jan, kind of, Jan, Jan mentioned that in the last, I think in the year end podcast. Okay. One of her favorite books. Yeah, so if you want to kind of pair those two together, um, I think it kind of draws out this this interesting perspective that we're getting um, from people. <laughs> All right, I'll roll into uh, North Wind by Gary Paulson. So most of us know Paulson from his Newbery Award-winning book from 1989, Hatchet. It's a great survival novel. And if you haven't read it, you should. It is by far one of my favorite recommendations for those uh, reluctant readers. I was a teen librarian for numerous years. And when my kids would be like, I don't want to read. I had a lot of boys. I had 60 kids in the program and 50 of them were boys. I'd be like, let's grab Paulson. We're going to read it together. You're going to enjoy it. And they did. Um, it's a survival uh, book hatchet and so is uh north wind so uh north wind is uh out now and it's definitely written in the similar similar vein to hatchet paulson wrote in the author's note that you can find in the back of the book that this was a culmination of his life in words his norwegian grandmother used to gather him up after a long day and tell him stories of Norway's sea life. And then Paulson himself spent a lot of times at sea um, and weaves his experience into the text as well. So the story begins with a cholera outbreak wiping out Leaf's whole village. This is historical fiction, by the way. <laughs> oh, I will say, I should say hatchet feels a little more modern time. So, you know, and um, this one is definitely more of a historical fiction feel, but both of them are survival. So uh, Leaf's whole village is wiped out by cholera. Old Carl, who is Leaf's current foster type father, puts him and little Carl into a carved out canoe and tells Leaf to go north, 
stick to the forts and away from the large ships that carry the shadows are the ghosts of men who are dying from this cholera. They are the ones who stopped by the village and brought the plague. So go north, save yourselves. But soon they both get sick. And you can imagine, this was a little rough. <laughs> Things do not go well. And Lee finds himself all alone on a very harrowing and lonely journey. So there's a bit of Nordic mythology incorporated into the story to drive home the location and the historical context. And the beauty and danger of the sea, like I said, is woven throughout the book. Uh, Leaf runs into a lot of marine animals, some of which are very friendly, seem to be protecting him. But there's also some violent weather and, and talk about how he's getting his food. There's a lot of other life-threatening situations going on. But similar to Hatchet, there's um, very little dialogue. It's really you're experiencing from Leaf's point of view uh, in his mind. And um, like similar to a lot of fantasies where they describe the area. So you're really getting a feel for uh, the past of what Norway may have looked like. I would say that this is a bit slower paced than Hatchet. Hatchet is a small book and very fast paced. Um, uh, but this is uh, definitely has a lot of survival, a lot of suspense, a lot of um, thinking going on, very thought provoking and reflective story. This is also Paulson's last book. He died in October, 2021 at the age of 82. He had a very long life, very wonderful um, in his younger years of a lot of hardship, but he was a prolific writer and um, he also wrote this epic autobiography I would recommend everybody grabbing. Um, he was amazing and we, I am so thankful for the stories that he brought to, um, into the world and that he shared with these, uh, with so many people, but definitely the kids that I worked with, they were definitely changed by his stories. Mm. So I would celebrate his life and I recommend everybody celebrating his life by grabbing one of these titles. So the new one is historical fiction, meaning what era does it take place in? That's the odd thing a little bit about this book is that it doesn't really give you a time frame. Okay. You know that Leaf goes from before he lands in this village, because like I said, old Carl is his um, kind of foster father. He was kind of like traded from village to village. And so he's young, he's only like 11 or 12 and he's doing work in different villages. So it's, it, there's trade ships along the coast, but they're still using canoes. So it's, it's really maybe the 1500s. Okay. It really doesn't give you a specific um, timeline. Well, before we wrap up, we should probably talk about the winter reading challenge that's going on right now. now. It started January 1st. And if you've been reading this whole time, we invite anybody zero to 18 to jump onto our Beanstack app, our, our Beanstack um, online. You can find that at our website and um, get your kiddos enrolled or your grandkids and you're going to read or participate in a program and you're going to earn points 
for every minute you read, it equals one point, and you just have to get 500, and you're going to get a really groovy Fairfield handmade winter beanie. So there's also a Bitmoji bingo going on that if you grab the paper at either the Woods Branch Library or the main library and talk to all us wonderful librarians here in the department, you can earn yourself a free book. So I felt so honored when someone came in to do the bingo. It felt so important. They ask you your favorite book. I had to go do my favorite elephant and piggy book. I love it. And then we got chatting about the uh, that, <laughs> highs and lows of all the different 25 books in that series. <laughs> so bring your kiddos in and sign up and uh, we would love to have you join us. There's still time. It goes all the way till February 19th. Great. Well, thank you, Tamara, Stephanie, and Emily. And thank you listeners so much for joining us for another episode of What Are You Reading podcast brought to you by Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Check out our show notes for book titles and authors mentioned today. And please join us next month as we talk about all things OBOT, our one book, one town. Happy reading. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.